One of the challenges that we face as pastors is when you have services that occur every year, like Christmas and Easter and Mother's Day, and you ask the question, what should I preach on this year? I've been here 18 years now, probably covered most of the mothers we find in Scripture. So I thought, well, maybe I should speak about mothers-in-law. And so I thought, well, we find a, a reference to that in, in the book of Ruth. And as I began to look at Naomi, I thought, you know, she's probably not the best example of a mother-in-law sometimes. So I thought, well, would that be a good uh, message for Mother's Day? But as I studied the book of Ruth, I thought, you know, this is a book that deals with marriage. It deals with uh, moms and dads and children. And we're kind of in that stage now of Mother's Day and Father's Day. So we're going to look at the book of Ruth uh, for uh, Sunday. So we begin in chapter 1. Chapter 1 of Ruth, and I'm going to begin reading at verse 12 of Ruth chapter 1. And Ruth is now, or Naomi speaking to her daughters, Return, my daughters, go, for I am too old to have a husband. If I said I have hope, if I should even have a husband tonight, and also bear sons, would you therefore wait until they were grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for it is harder for me than for you, for the hand of the Lord has gone forth against me. And they lifted up their voices and wept again, and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. Then she said, Behold, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or to turn back from following you, for where you go, I will go, and where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. Thus may the Lord do to me, and worse, if anything but death parts you and me. When she saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more to her. So they both went until they came to Bethlehem, and when they had come to Bethlehem, all the city was stirred because of them. And the women said, Is this Naomi? She said to them, Do not call me Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went out full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why do you call me Naomi, since the Lord has witnessed against me, and the Almighty has afflicted me? So Naomi returned, and with her Ruth the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law, who returned from the land of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you this morning for your word. Thank you, O God, for who you are. Thank you, Lord, that you've established the home, the family. You've established marriage. And I pray, O oh God, that you would teach us as we look at this uh, series of, of messages uh, from this book. Uh, teach us, Lord, what you would have us to learn, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. I googled the phrase, happily ever after. And I found some interesting things looking at that phrase. Did you know that there are at least three books written with that title? There are at least seven movies entitled Happily Ever After. 
There were at least three television series, four musical albums, and six songs with the title, Happily Ever After. And I concluded that there must be a desire in the human heart for a happy life. People want to be able to think that they will live happily ever after. Now, let me ask you a question. Can we count on that in this world? Can we count on the fact that everything is going to go fine in our marriages, in our families, in all of our relationships, that everything is just going to be wonderful and it's going to be happily ever after, just like a carnival ride to heaven? Well, I think you know the answer to that question, don't you? Life can present its challenges. And we see that especially in the book of Ruth as we look this morning at, at, at these marriage relationships. There were three of them that we find in this chapter. And there's some lessons we learn. The first lesson is this, that marriage must never be seen as a guarantee of an easy life. Marriage must never be seen as a guarantee of an easy life. Look at the three marriages that we find in this chapter. All three of them face some, some challenges, some, some significant challenges. Uh, one challenge was, was an economic one, a financial one. We see that right at the beginning of the book. Verse 1 says, It came about in the days when the judges governed that there was a famine in the land. And a certain man of Bethlehem and Judah went to sojourn in the land of Moab with his wife and his two sons. Famine. And so they ended up leaving Israel, going to Moab, I suppose, thinking, how else are we going to survive? Got to have food, got to feed the family. And so off they went to the land of Moab. And it's kind of interesting because the name Bethlehem means house of bread. So it's kind of ironic that they would have to leave the house of bread to, to go to Moab. But you know, financial difficulties can come at any time. They can come in any place. They can come to any person. And sometimes there isn't a whole lot we can do to prevent it. And when these financial challenges come to a marriage, to a family, it can become very stressful, very, very challenging. And some of you know what that's like. Some of you have gone through stages in your relationship as a husband and wife and your family where things were really difficult financially. A famine of dollar bills, maybe we could call it, huh? Ever looked on the back of a dollar bill? You notice there's an eagle on the back? That's a reminder to me that they fly out of your wallet just like birds, don't they? They just, they just go. And, and, and that can be a, a, a challenge. It was in this relationship, there was a famine, a, a financial crisis. Another issue was, was death. Look at verse 3. Then Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left with her two sons. I remember when my wife and I got married 39 years ago. We were uh, healthy and young, and I have to say, I didn't think much about death, even though our vows were, till death do us part. And I'm grateful we've had all of these years of, of married life together, but for some couples, death comes sooner than later. There are some that lose a spouse very, very early in life, and, and obviously that is, is a, a very difficult experience. And some people end up not just losing a spouse, but some end up losing children. 
We find that here in, in this uh, chapter, uh, after Elimelech, Naaman's husband died, then verse 4 says that these two sons of theirs, uh, named Malon and Chilion, took these wives and they died, verse 5 says. And so the woman was bereft of her two children as well as her husband. Can you imagine what that would be like to lose your spouse and then the only children you have are gone? I think of uh, Annie Holen from our church. Remember Annie? Some of you remember her. She lived to be 104, had nine children. She lost her spouse quite early and lost two, two sons. She buried two sons. And I can remember her telling me, going to the nursing home to visit your son. She said, there's something that just doesn't seem right about that. And I had the funeral for one of her sons. So the three, three of the, the, the ones that she loved the most, her husband and her two sons were gone. That, that was Naomi. So you have financial challenges in these marriages. You have death. And then there was also with Orpah and Ruth, the inability to have children. These two women were married to Malon and Chilion for ten years. And after ten years, there were no children. And anybody who's gone through that can understand what, what a challenge that is. Now, I'm not here to depress you. I don't want to just be a negative on Mother's Day. But yet, we, we need to realize that we live in a fallen world, don't we? And we are not immune from financial challenges. We're not immune from death. We're not immune from, from all kinds of, uh, of issues. So, so marriage, we can never guarantee that marriage is going to bring an easy life. In fact, sometimes things can get harder. Nothing automatic about happily ever after. Second lesson we learn here is that marriage must never be entered thoughtlessly. Marriage must never be entered thoughtlessly. When Naomi heard that there was food back in Israel, in verse 6, she headed back home, and her daughters-in-law began to follow her, Ruth and, and Orpah. But while they were on their way, we, we see that Naomi told them to go back home. Look at verse 8. Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each of you to her mother's house, May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. So we might wonder why would she tell them to go home if we read on. It all had to do with, with marriage. She was concerned that these two daughters-in-law of hers would, would find a spouse being her sons had died. Verse 9, she says, May the Lord grant that you may find rest each in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept, and they said to her, No, but we will surely return with you to your people. And Naomi said, Return, my daughters. Why should you go with me? She goes on to say, Have I yet sons in my womb that they may be your husbands? Return, my daughters. Go, for I am too old to have a husband. If I said I have hope, if I should even have a husband tonight... And also bear sons, would you therefore wait until they were grown? 
Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters. You go back. You need a husband. You need to be married. And so she wanted to send them back to Moab. Now, we obviously appreciate her concern that these daughters-in-law would marry. After all, they had gone through ten years of, of a relationship with no children, and now their, their husbands were gone. But you kind of have to wonder about the wisdom of sending them back to Moab. Moab, of all places. And notice what Naomi said to Ruth when Ruth said she wouldn't go. Look at verse 15. Then Naomi said, Behold, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. Doesn't that strike you as a little bit strange to think? Go back to Moab. Go back with your sister-in-law. Go back with her to her Gods. It's like, Naomi, what are you, what are you thinking here? Why, why, why would you send her back there? It's as if she's saying, it doesn't really matter who you marry. Just get married. Just get married. It doesn't really matter to whom. Even if they worship other gods, just go back and you'll, you'll find a, a husband. So I think a question we need to ask today, does it matter who you marry? Does it, does it matter? I don't think that's a hard question, is it? It absolutely does matter who we marry. And if you are a believer in Jesus, there ought to be one thing that is a non-negotiable. What is that? That you marry someone who loves Jesus. If you know Christ as your Savior, that is the clear teaching of Scripture, both in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. Marry in the Lord. Other than your decision to follow Jesus, if you marry and who you marry is the most decision, most important decision you'll ever make. So don't enter marriage thoughtlessly. There have been some that I've known over the years who thoughtlessly just entered into relationship. As a believer, marrying someone that didn't know the Lord, they just think, well, you know, they're, they're close, they're coming to church, and you know, someday they'll... Come to Jesus and those situations don't often end up very good, do they? Marriage must never be entered thoughtlessly. And then the third lesson we learned is that marriage must never be more important than our relationship with the Lord. You know, the easy thing for Ruth to do in this situation would have simply gone back with her sister-in-law. But notice what she said when Naomi told her to go back home. This is really quite amazing. In verse 16, But Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or turn back from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God shall be my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. Thus may the Lord do to me, and worse, if anything but death parts you and me. And when she saw that she was determined to go with her, then Naomi said, no more. Now, isn't it kind of amazing that Ruth would say what she did to, to her mother-in-law? She would be going to a new land, 
Away from family and friends, everything that was familiar to her would be, would be gone now, leaving Moab to go to the Israel. She would be entering a situation where it would have been probably very difficult for her to remarry. As a widow coming from Moab, what were the chances that she would, would marry again? But, but, but perhaps the biggest obstacle here to, to Ruth's commitment to the Lord was, I hate to say it, the attitude of her mother-in-law because of the trouble that Naomi had gone through. She had become bitter. Look at what she says about the Lord in verse 13. She says, No, my daughters, for it is harder for me than for you, for the hand of the Lord has gone forth against me. Jump down to verse 19. So they both went until they came to Bethlehem. And when they had come to Bethlehem, all the city was stirred because of them. And the women said, is this Naomi? What did she say? She said, don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara. For the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went out full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why do you call me Naomi, since the Lord has witnessed against me and the Almighty has afflicted me? Call me Mara. You know what Mara means? Bitter. And that bitterness must have had a visible impact on Naomi because the women of Bethlehem asked the question, is this Naomi? You get the impression that perhaps her countenance had even changed. She doesn't look the way she used to look. Don't call me Naomi anymore. Call me Mara. She isn't the Naomi that she used to be. And yet she's honest enough to admit it, isn't she? The hand of the Lord has been against me. You have to wonder what was going through Ruth's mind when Naomi said this, especially when she said, I went out full, but I've come back empty. Well, she came back with a daughter-in-law, and there's Ruth hearing this. I went out full, and I came back with nothing. Got nothing. And here's this... Lovely daughter-in-law that, that wanted to follow the Lord. And you wonder what Ruth is thinking. Is that, is that what I am in your eyes? Just worth, worth nothing? And yet, in spite of all that, what did Ruth say? Your God shall be my God. So here was a woman whose relationship with God was genuine. There was nothing that was more important to Ruth than her relationship with God. She wanted the God of Israel to be her God. And there would come a day that that she would be married again, but at this point, I don't think she was thinking of that at all. She just wanted to serve the Lord. Your God will be my God. And she wasn't trying to to make it happen. She wasn't bitter about what had happened in her life. She too had lost a husband. Ten years of marriage, she had no children either, like Naomi. She must have believed that if God wanted her to be married, that God would make that happen. But her focus was on the Lord. I want your God, Naomi, to be my God. Before we leave this uh, passage, there's something important we need to notice about Naomi. 
When you think of how bitter she was, you kind of wonder, was there any hope for this woman? I mean, she was just blaming the Lord for, for everything. She says God had afflicted her. But she realized that he was the one that brought her back. In verse 21, she said, I went out full, but the Lord has brought me back. Back empty. But she says, the Lord has brought me back. So why did Naomi come back to Bethlehem? She came back because of good news. She came back because of what God had done. Because if you look at verse 6... What does it say? She heard in the land of Moab that the Lord had visited his people in giving them food. It was the good news that God had visited his people, that God had given them food, that Bethlehem again became the house of bread. And because she heard that good news, that's what drew her back to Bethlehem. Good news. Do you need to come back today? Maybe you've gone through some challenges, some trials, some difficulties in your life. And maybe things have not turned out the way you had hoped. And if you are to be honest with the Lord today, perhaps you become bitter. God, why did you allow this? God, what are you doing in my life? Lord, you've afflicted me. Lord, you've made my life bitter. I went out Naomi, but now here I am, Lord. And I don't like what has happened in my life. Do you know that God still invites you to come back? The Bible is filled with stories of those who came back. Abraham went down to Egypt, but he came back. Jacob fled to Aram. But he came back. The prodigal son went out into the world and wasted away with his father's inheritance. But he came back. And you can come back as well. You come back to Jesus, the bread of life. The one who was born in Bethlehem, right? The house of bread. How fitting that the bread of life would be born in a town that was called the House of Bread. I appreciate Barry Webb's comment on this in his commentary. He said, At the center of God's plan is our Lord Jesus Christ. And the good news that calls us back is about something else that God has done in Bethlehem. Not just for those who live there, but for all of us, whoever we are, however far we are from God. It's a new and infinitely greater gospel than the one that Naomi heard and that turned her thoughts to home. And it's an open invitation to all of us to come home. He writes, come home to the God who made you and loves you and is the only one who can fill your emptiness and meet your deepest need. Come back empty. Come back with only small expectations if that's all you have. Come back bitter if you must, but come back. You may have been away ten years, as Naomi was. It's too long. So is one year or one month or even one day, for we were made for God and our true home. Our only place of true wholeness 
is with him. And then he tells the story of a telephone call received a few years ago. A man called and said his name was James, that he had walked away from the Lord many years ago, but he wanted to come back. And he heard about a Bible study that Barry Webb had in his home for men on a Thursday night. He asked if he could come. He said, yeah, you can come. He said, I don't even have a Bible. He said, that's no problem. We'll get you a Bible. And then James said, do I need to bring anything else? He said, no. Just come. And he did. And he told the story of how one of his children had suffered a brain damage at nine years of age. He became mentally handicapped. And James told how he had had a running argument with God ever since. James was bitter and empty for 30 years. But Webb goes on to say, but he's heard God calling him and he's on his way home. Ruth 1 is a story about someone who went away but came home. And that's the invitation we see in this passage. We need to come home. I think of the hymn, come home, come home. You who are weary, come home. Softly and tenderly, Jesus is calling, calling, O sinner, come home. Let's pray. Father, thank you for what you did in the life of, of Naomi. And as we continue to look at what you did in her life and the in the chapters to come, we see, O oh God, that life can can bring many different challenges, many different struggles. But you invite us to come home. You give us that good news of, of, of a baby born in Bethlehem. The good news of the bread of life. The good news of Jesus. The one who can restore. The one who can forgive. The one who can give life and purpose. Oh God, and thank you that you've invited us to come. To come home. We pray in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.